0: You've been loading up on things from Walmart. Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. (laughs) Say what now? 5% 5 back. back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online, on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. Today's story is different from the ones I've shared previously. We know where Tina Bigger is, buried at her family plot in South Dakota. We know that Kenneth Tranchita murdered her. He pled guilty to the charges, avoiding a trial. We know where Kenneth killed her and where her body waited patiently to be found. We have all these answers. What we don't have is the why. That's what we still look for today, 20 years later. Tina's family doesn't know. Tina's boyfriend, he can't tell us either. Her college classmates, her co-workers at the nice restaurant she waitressed at, they don't have the why. Tina herself, were she here? Had she survived her trip down a dark path? She may not be able to tell you why. It could have been money. She was a college student, working on her undergraduate degree in psychology while waitressing part-time. She certainly could have used more cash in her pocket each week working as a call girl? Well, Tina was smart, attractive, sex positive. The women she was researching for a CDC-funded school project, the call girls, working girls, prostitutes, call them what you'd like. They made it sound like easy money. In 1995, $600 a week was a lot of money and for just a little work, just a little sex, out-call work. Back in the days before websites, webcams, Craigslist, and cell phones changed the way that men hire companionship. Tina Bigger took a side job as a call girl. Was it for the extra money? Extra money that led to her decomposing body, so far gone that a cause of death couldn't be determined? the extra cash that took her away from her family and her boyfriend and her little sister and her promising future. Is the answer that simple? Was it the cash? Let's start with Tina, a bright-eyed blonde, the oldest daughter of a Coast Guard commander father and her mother was a registered nurse, big sister to Julie and one of six children. Raised in a close-knit Catholic family, the biggers moved frequently a side effect of Bill Beggar's job with the Coast Guard. Originally from South Dakota, Tina lived in Miami, Florida, Kodiak, Alaska, and finally, Traverse City, Michigan. Around 1990, while living in Alaska, she became involved with an enlisted man in her father's unit. Tina found herself pregnant. At first, the couple became engaged, thinking they'd get married and make a go of a relationship and parenthood. Jory Stanton... The father of her child and her fiancé was abusive to Tina. She broke things off with him and decided to place her child, a daughter, for adoption. Tina made the right call breaking things off with Staten. He would later be court-martialed for raping a woman. As any military family can tell you, moving is part of the life. The Beggar family was transferred again, this time to northern Michigan, to the charming tourist destination and home of annual Cherry Festival, Traverse City. It was as a 20-year-old living in Traverse City that she met Todd Nurnberger, an undergraduate student at the University of Michigan. The attraction was swift and mutual. They dated for a couple of years before moving in together. Tina and Todd rented an apartment in an upscale, gated community in the Detroit suburb of Farmington Hills. Side note, if you remember the Deborah Rentschler case from a previous episode, Tina's apartment in 1995 was across the street from where Deborah's body was found in 1980. Tina attended Oakland University in Rochester Hills, Michigan, where she worked on a degree in psychology. She was a waitress at the Rochester Chop House, a fine dining establishment in downtown Rochester just off campus. Tina commuted the 25 miles from her apartment to the campus and work several times a week. While enrolled at Oakland University, Tina volunteered to work on a research project with Professor Algia Harrison. The project, funded by the Centers for Disease Control, involved interviewing prostitutes about HIV-AIDS awareness. Tina would interview the women while they were incarcerated at a facility outside Detroit. Tina's friend Amy, manager at the Rochester Chop House, said Tina was fascinated by the women she met working on the project. The women were very complimentary of Tina, saying she was pretty enough and smart enough to do very well as a call girl. Her blonde hair and girl-next-door good looks were a popular choice for the men who called agencies looking for companionship. It's clear that Tina was intrigued, but we can't say when she crossed the line from curious student to paid companion. Still enrolled at Oakland University and closing in on her undergraduate degree, Tina met with Algia Harrison again and proposed her honors project, Survey of Sexual History and Health Practices Among Women Employed as Escorts. The university denied her request. Having a student spending extra time interviewing call girls that she sought out on their own turf? Mm Mm-mm. That wasn't anything the university wanted to endorse. Tina was not deterred. Encouraged by conversations with the women she'd interviewed while working on the CDC project, and maybe looking for some extra cash, or if you believe the rumors, Tina wanted to get back at her boyfriend Todd for cheating on her. Tina began working as an escort. Tina talked with dozens of outcall services, and police believe that by early 1995, using the name Crystal, she began working for a gross point Michigan-based service called Classical Elegance. She then moved on to work with two other agencies in Metro Detroit, LA Dreams and Calendar Girls. Despite being a very successful and popular server at Rochester Chop House, waiting tables would never pay the $150 an hour or more she could earn as a call girl. Between May and August of 1995, Tina booked dozens of appointments with clients. If she took two calls a week, she was bringing in an extra $1,000 or more each month. Even by 2016 standards, that's a lot of cash. Tina had bills to pay. Her college tuition payment at Oakland University was due. Her car, which was in okay shape, but more than 10 years old, it needed to be replaced. There were rumors that Tina was hoping to break things off with Todd and get her own place and be independent. August 11th. 1995. Tina, as Crystal, booked a client named Kenneth Tranchida. She met him at a nice bar in the Detroit suburb of Bloomfield Hills. Pleasantries were exchanged, terms were negotiated, and he took her back to his place in Southfield, just a few miles from her own apartment. Tranchida paid her in cash. Tina Bigger had less than two weeks left to live. On August 13th, Trenchida called L.A. Dreams again, requesting Crystal meet him at a small hourly rate motel off Telegraph Road in Southfield, the Bluebird Motel. This time it was Ashley who showed up. Trenchida could not conceal his disappointment and spent much of the hour asking Ashley if she knew Crystal and what Crystal was like. Trenchida told Ashley his heart was torn because he was in love with her and with Crystal. He then asked Ashley for a ride home, and she dropped him at his place in Southfield. Once home, he called L.A. Dreams and said Ashley was nice, but he really wanted to see Crystal. At 6.30 that evening, he was back at the Bluebird Motel, this time with Tina. At 7.30, Tina called in to report that he'd booked another hour. When Tina left that night, Kenneth called the agency to rave about her. He told Donna, who managed L.A. Dreams, that he'd bought a ring for Crystal. Donna said, no, that's not necessary. You don't need to buy gifts for the girls. Tranchita reassured her it was only a friendship ring. On August 16th, Tina and Tranchita were at a local Honda dealership, and he was helping her select a new car. Paperwork at the dealership confirmed that Ken Tranchita was helping Tina pay for a new vehicle. Who was this big spender, the man who was smitten with crystal? Kenneth Tranchita was born in 1953. He grew up in Southfield, Michigan, and his mother died when he was about 17 years old. After his mother's death, Tranchita drifted, in and out of jail, in and out of jobs, and in and out of trouble. In 1995, he was 42 years old and out on parole. He worked part-time at a car wash, or driving a tow truck for the local Amaco station when he could. His only real job, the one he held consistently, was making $5 an hour as a bell ringer each December for the Salvation Army. With dark hair and oversized glasses that were popular in the 80s, Tranchita was average-looking. With a slim build and a twitchy, nervous demeanor, could Tina have mistaken him for a well-off businessman? Did she think that he was Richard Gere to her pretty woman? Or was it that a book-smart college student who'd lived all over the United States wasn't savvy enough to recognize the predator that had her in his sights? In the spring of 1995, Tranchita met a woman while he was working at the gas station. We'll call this woman Marie. She hired him to plant some shrubs at her house and do some landscaping for her. Tranchita became obsessed with Marie, showing up at her house at all hours buying her a set of pet ferrets which allowed him to return frequently to check on the animals. Marie told him no. Look, I'm not interested. She asked him to stop coming by. Tranchita didn't take the hint. He wouldn't leave her alone, so she reported him to the Farmington Hills police. A chat with Farmington Hills Finest straightened him out. Tranchita didn't want to violate his parole. He left Marie alone and began looking elsewhere for love and companionship. Kenneth Tranchita was a lot of things, but he was known for being a hard worker and for being lonely. Desperately lonely. His one friend, Jerry Holbert, met Tranchita in the 80s. Holbert helped him get a job at the Salvation Army as a bell ringer. He lined up a room for him to rent so he had a place to live. Holbert told police that Tranchita was always carrying photos of girls, calling hotline numbers for late-night chat and perusing magazines offering mail-order brides. The call girls were another way for Tranchita to stem the persistent loneliness he felt. When he wasn't working, and he was known to work six or seven days a week, or to pull double shifts when the opportunity presented itself, he was hanging out at the local burger place, striking up conversations with others as they sat at the counter enjoying a meal. He didn't own a car, and neighbors frequently saw him riding his bicycle around town. Hulbert was a true friend to Tranchita. When they met... Tranchita warned him. He'd done time. He was on parole. Holbert didn't mind and got him a job as a bell ringer for the Salvation Army. Tranchita returned the favor by being the best bell ringer Holbert employed each year. No matter the weather, no matter how cold, Tranchita was smiling, ringing the Salvation Army bell, and thanking those who made a donation. Tranchita's father had few good things to say about him. When Kenneth's mother died in 1971, trouble started at school. Fights. Lots of fights. Tranchida enlisted in the Army, thinking that would straighten him out. It had the opposite effect. He went AWOL and was dishonorably discharged in 1973. Tranchida was arrested numerous times over the next 20 years, always for small, nonviolent offenses, credit card theft, bounced checks, embezzlement, parole violations. He would serve a total of five and a half years in prison. He was a con man, his stepfather reported. He always made people feel sorry for him. When Tranchita met Tina Biggers, seeing the 23-year-old blonde for the first time on August eleventh, 1995, at a bar in the ritzy suburb of Bloomfield Hills, he was smitten. You are the most beautiful woman I've ever met. That night... He took her back to the room he rented in Southfield. Tranchida told his friend Holbert that he was going to marry this girl, that they were apartment shopping. Never mind that Tina was still living with Todd Nurnberger. Tina had concealed her double life from Todd. Despite making an extra one or two thousand dollars a month turning tricks, her credit cards were maxed, and her bank account balance was paltry. On August 23rd, 1995, Todd got up and left for work in the morning leaving a sleeping Tina in bed. It was the last time that he would see her alive. That night, when Tina did not come home, Todd called the chop house. He was dismayed to learn that not only was Tina not working that night, she hadn't worked there in months. She'd given up the waitressing job to focus on outcall work, which paid in an hour which she made in a night of waitressing. August 24th, after calls to Tina's friends and family, Todd Nurnberger reported Tina missing. He was blissfully unaware of the double life she was leading. He thought they were going to be married and grow old together. He reached out to her parents, and Tina's father, 45-year-old Coast Guard commander Bill Bigger, made the five-hour drive from Traverse City to help look for his daughter. The two men slowly unraveled the tangle that Tina's life had become. Because it was 1995 and people still relied on landlines to communicate, one of the first things Todd looked at was their phone bill. He dialed various numbers that he didn't recognize and found himself calling the pager number for Kenneth Tranchita, as well as escort services, including L.A. Dreams, where Tina worked as Crystal. His search for Tina had taken a bizarre and unexpected turn. But that would not be the last of the surprises in store for Tina's loved ones or for investigators. Tranchita told police how he'd met Tina, that she'd been doing outcall work for L.A. Dreams. But they were dating now. They were a couple. Tina's father and her boyfriend were shocked to learn that the beautiful young woman that they'd loved had spent the last few months turning tricks in an attempt to stabilize her finances. Nurnberger mentioned Tranchita to police because he'd met him while Tranchita fixed Tina's Honda at the Amico station where he worked. Police were already familiar with Tranchita from a couple of months earlier when Marie reported him for harassment. When questioned about her whereabouts, Tranchita told police he'd driven Tina to the airport. She was going to Ohio on business. When Bill Bigger and Todd Nuremberger questioned Tranchita, Tranchita became violently sick. He had to leave the conversation so that he could vomit. Nothing suspicious there. Tranchita admitted he had the keys to Tina's car in his possession. Farmington Hills Police turned Tranchita over to police in Royal Oak, Michigan for a parole violation, and they found Tina's car right where Tranchita said it would be, in the parking lot of the Angle Apartments in Farmington Hills. Angle Apartments was about a block away from the Amico station Tranchita worked at. Tina's car appeared undisturbed. Farmington Hills Police accessed the car with Bill Bigger and Todd Nernberger, It was nearly 11 p.m. when they searched the interior in the trunk, which was crowded with packaging, paperwork, tools, and a spilled travel mug of coffee. Nothing useful. Not a clue to where Tina could be. Refusing to give up on finding her, Bill Bigger and Todd Nernberger met with Donna, Tina's manager at L.A. Dreams, who confirmed Trenchita's story. They enlisted Donna in their quest to locate the missing girl. Since Tranchita couldn't help them find Tina while he was incarcerated, they decided to bail him out of jail, hoping he would lead them to Tina's body. Instead, Tranchita ran. His old friend, Jerry Holcomb, begged Tranchita to do the right thing, to tell them where Tina was. Tranchita refused and concealed himself on the streets, avoiding detection. While Tranchita was missing, his friend Jerry Holcomb welcomed Bill Bigger into his home, giving the worried father a place to stay and another ally in the search for Tina. Days passed, and August turned to September. Frustrated by a lack of leads and no sign of the missing woman, Farmington Hills Police went back to her Honda. It had been sitting patiently in the police impound for about two weeks. When they opened the trunk and dug through the contents, they realized the travel mug wasn't the source of the coffee stains. In fact, those weren't coffee stains at all. Peeling back the trunk liner, they found more blood. Tina was no longer a missing person. Police were looking for a body. On September 21st, 1995, a tip came in to police, pointing them to a small house on Nine Mile Road in Southfield, just a few miles from where Tranchita rented a room and literally around the corner from the house he'd grown up in. In the backyard, concealed by brush, the badly decomposed remains of a woman were discovered. Oakland County Medical Examiner struggled to determine a cause of death, but the advanced decomposition told them this body had been out in the late summer heat for several weeks. Tina Bigger was no longer missing. On September 27th, a funeral mass was held for Tina near Traverse City, Michigan. When Kenneth Tranchita attempted suicide by drinking chemicals and cutting his wrists, he called Jerry Holcomb, who came to his aid one last time. Tranchita was arraigned on September 28th. He still wore bandages from his feeble attempt at ending his life. He addressed the court in a wavering voice. I've pled guilty already, Your Honor. I'm willing to face my dues. He asked for the preliminary exam to be waived. Tranchita wanted to go directly to sentencing. The court declined his request, advising Tranchita to get counsel. On September 30th, Tina was buried in her parents' hometown of Elkton, South Dakota. Tina's former boss at LA Dreams, Donna Mendy, was arrested and charged with solicitation. Donna would be sentenced to probation. Tranchita told his attorney that he wanted to plead guilty. He had killed the woman he loved, and he deserved to be in prison. Tina's family agreed to the plea. They did not want to endure a trial. On May 3, 1996, Tranchita got his wish. He pled guilty to second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. At the sentencing, he turned to Tina's family and loved ones and told them, "'I miss Tina, just like you guys do.' What happened that fateful August day between Tina Bigger and Kenneth Tranchita is lost to time. What we do know is that two weeks after Tina met him, she was dead, her body dumped behind a house in Southfield. She never got a shiny new Honda, and all Tranchita will say about her death, which likely happened on August 23rd at the house where he rented a room, is that Tina was worried about money, and he put her out of her misery. Tranchita loaded her body in the trunk of her car and dumped her in an overgrown yard behind a home in the neighborhood he'd grown up in. It's been 20 years since Tina's murder. Todd Nurnberger moved on and married. He has a family of his own and left Michigan behind. He still has family in the Traverse City area where he met a pretty blonde girl back in the early 90s. Tina's father, Bill, has since retired from the Coast Guard. Her siblings are grown up, and Tina is a memory, a face smiling from a photograph. Tranchita remains in prison. The murder of Tina Bigger was known at the time as the co-ed call girl murder. It was a sensationalized case, and why not? A college student living a double life. Her story was the basis for a book and a spread in People magazine. Tina's tragic end was featured in episodes of two of my favorite true crime shows, City Confidential, and Forensic Files. If you're interested, you can watch the episodes on YouTube. Despite the distractions of Tina's wholesome good looks and her dangerous dabbling in sex work, it's important to recognize that Tina was more than where she ended up. She was a daughter and a sister and a friend. Tina landed in the sights of an unpredictable and unbalanced man who would do anything to have her, and in the end, that is what cost Tina her life. Thank you for listening to the Already Gone Podcast. If you like our show, your five-star reviews on iTunes are appreciated. If you have comments, suggestions, or feedback, please contact me directly. Email me, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at alreadygonepod.com. There's also a Facebook page for the show. We have some new music for the show this week. The music is courtesy of Luke Superior. You can find Luke's work on SoundCloud. I'll have a link to it on our website as well. (coughs) Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. (laughs) Say what now? 5% 5 back. Back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online, on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.